So um, uh, recently, <clears throat> our youth pastor, teaching pastor, Dave Ivey, texted Marcus and I with uh, an article from Gallup Polling. And you all know Gallup Poll, how they will do these random polls. And, and um, this particular poll, they interviewed a bunch of people and had them rate careers according to perceived honesty. <clears throat> so there's a long list of careers. And people had to rate each career as very honest, pretty honest, honest, average honest, you know, and then not very honest, and then really not very honest. Like, so you had your five categories, the middle one being average, and then you had your above average honesty, and then below average, I assume, would mean like, you know, dishonest. So at the top of uh, the poll, uh, nurses ranked number one for honesty. Any nurses out there? I know we have a handful of players. Yes, thank you for, for what you do. And uh, it turns out that 29% ranked nurses with the highest mark of very honest, very high honesty. And then 50% said high honesty. So 79% placed nurses as above average honesty, which is incredible in this country that you can get 79% of people to agree on anything. But 79% agree that nurses are very honest or better. Only 4% of the people interviewed associated nurses with dishonesty. Now, medical doctors came in second place. 62% labeled doctors as very honest or better. And only 10% felt that doctors were dishonest. Pharmacists were uh, number three, so I know we have a couple pharmacists at Polaris. Um, high school teachers were number four. I know some high school teachers in the crowd. Um, congratulations on being number four. Police officers were number five. Dave's text to Marcus and uh, me read, we're number six, was the title of the text. So, clergy... Number six, only 34% believed clergy were uh, highly honest or better. 45% believed clergy were of only average honesty. 17% felt clergy were generally dishonest people. Now, right or wrong, on that assessment, for me, it's disheartening, and not just because I'm clergy. Uh, I would say the perception was probably earned over the years. But I think it's problematic to the Jesus movement when the leaders of faith are seen generally as average or dishonest, but rarely seen as pretty honest. Like that's a problem. Because how can you trust someone and their thoughts about eternity when you generally don't see them as very trustworthy? Now when Jesus' earliest followers began to start to meet together, 
honesty was one of the most important qualities in that movement. God went to great lengths to instill in his church the importance of honesty. In fact, one of the most shocking scriptures in the entire New Testament centers around honesty. Christians began to gather together for the first time after Jesus rose from the dead and he ascended. And the Bible tells us that they met together regularly to begin to spread the message of hope and grace and love that Jesus came to bring. Now here's what we read in Acts chapter 3. So we're just three chapters into the, the book of the Bible that details the earliest Christians. So we're very early on in the Jesus movement. <clears throat> and it says this, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, they, sold, they also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, one of the things we learn in Scripture, that the, the earliest Christians, when they met together there in Jerusalem, some of them had like left their life behind to meet there. And so they would regularly sell things and contribute to sort of the, the community to make sure everyone had enough to eat and their needs met. And people were selling property and donating that. And this was all fine and good. It was not required. It was not required to donate the whole thing. The problem was that Ananias and Sapphira um, sold property and they said, we sold our property, here's all the money from it. The problem wasn't that they didn't give enough. The problem was that they lied. So here we go. Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? In other words, you didn't have to sell it, and you didn't have to give it all. The problem is that you lied. What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. It's pretty clear from the rest of the passage that God struck Ananias dead. And he would do the same for Ananias' wife immediately thereafter, Sapphira. And God just, with the coming of Jesus, that's, that's not how God rolls. He doesn't go around smiting many people. This was a special instance, and it was as if um, God recognized the importance, um, how essential an honest reputation was in this new movement. And, uh, and he creates fear <clears throat> to try to keep his people incredibly honest. Because if people can't trust the leaders of this new movement, they're not going to want to be a part of it. Now, um, I think the same is true today. I've been talking a lot <clears throat> recently about 
lifeboat culture. How I hope that we can see ourselves uh, as a church, as like a lifeboat, like, like this community needs us at our best. Because in very real ways, we're a kind of lifeboat. Um, we're here. We're together. We have each other. And life is still messy. My life is still messy. Uh, but God's putting the pieces together. Like in relationship with Jesus, he puts the pieces together. Um, and we have an awareness of our future. Uh, we have an awareness of our standing with God. Um, uh, there's healing in the lifeboat. And we need to help people who are not in the lifeboat and still out in the community outside of Jesus because they're drowning. I mean, people aren't doing real well right now. Children are not doing well right now out there. Teens are not doing real well out there. Marriages, people of all ages and all walks are not doing real well. This is a toxic culture around us, and people are drowning out there. And we got something going in here. And people need to be able to trust the hand that reaches out of the lifeboat to pull them on board. Because if they don't trust that, they're not going to want in. And so our integrity and our honesty is of utmost importance. It's a real problem when people don't see us as honest. And when we have a dishonest reputation, we got to work on that. Now, I don't say that in reference to Polaris. To my knowledge, Polaris has a really good standing in the community. I don't think people think we're a dishonest church with dishonest people. I don't, you know, I'm not, this isn't a reaction to anyone at Polaris that, that did anything. This is just in general, as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount <clears throat> and we come to Jesus teaching about honesty, it's really important that followers of Jesus are honest. Honesty matters because this is a lifeboat thing that we got going and people need to be able to trust us. Now, as we enter this part of the Sermon on the Mount, so just to be super clear, because I know there's, I missed one Sunday and there's like six families in here right now that I don't recognize. So, hey, welcome. Um, Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, three chapters of the Bible, very concise. Jesus um, uh, walks through um, um, the, the essence of, of, of what it means to follow him. So if you want to be a follower of Jesus, this is like the cliff notes. And, uh, and we're walking through, we're just kind of slow walking through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And the hope is that it's going to help us detox from the toxic world around us, uh, giving us clarity and direction. And then as we are obedient to these teachings, then we can maybe bring some light and hope and healing to the world around us. So uh, what we're, we're entering a part in the Sermon on the Mount now where if we follow the teachings of Jesus, it can at times be a disadvantage to us. Um, we're going to have to sacrifice some things and lay down some rights and make some choices where other people who live outside of the teachings of Jesus may get some temporary advantages. And when we talk about honesty, I think this is really going to stand out. 
Because if we commit to honesty, we may have some slight temporary advantages in our career, um, in our school, and uh, in, in social settings, things like that, where we would aspire to certain things, and maybe dishonesty would help us get some things that we want. And other people who are willing to be dishonest can get those things. And we're going to have to decide along, and I'm, I'm saying this because there's plenty of, we got some things in the pipeline with the Sermon on the Mount where, where um, uh, you know, Jesus doesn't call us to win. And Americans love to win. And sometimes there are some things Jesus calls us to that, that aren't going to help us win. And they may be a disadvantage to us winning. And we're going to have to decide, okay, am I going to follow Jesus or am I just going to do in the moment what I think I need to do to get the edge? Honesty is certainly one of those things. Okay, so I would love for you to reach under the chair in front of you and take out a Bible. I love it when everybody follows along so that anyone new won't feel like they stand out if they want to take a look at the scriptures and remember... Um, if you don't have a Bible that you can easily read or you don't have a Bible period because there's different translations and things, uh, feel free to take that with you. Every week I put a new two to three Bibles under the chairs that, that get taken, and I love that. Um, it's a gift. We'd love for you to have it. We're on page 969 still. <laughs> We're in Matthew chapter 5. And I'm going to start in verse 33. <clears throat> and it's interesting because this is something like if you're reading this, you could easily skip over it because it's kind of uh, language and concepts that, that don't seem very relevant. So 533 on page 969. Jesus says again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago. So he's quoting Old Testament here. Do not break your oath but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. Now, again, Jesus speaks of a kind of language that isn't very familiar to us. I don't, you know, if I'm late to lunch with you, I don't say, oh, I, I got stuck in traffic on 303. I swear by the Brunswick Clock Tower. Like, that's just not how we communicate these days. Uh, but back in Jesus' time, um, what scholars understand is that there was, a, uh, there was an elaborate uh, sort of uh, language uh, around making oaths. And it was, it was built on this platform of, of the Old Testament saying, be faithful to your oaths. So they actually were using that scripture to justify a kind of behavior that went something like this. Oh, I swear by the gold of the temple. And that sounds like, oh man, they must really mean it. But there was this underlying uh, sort of in the know of, well, the gold of the temple is temporary and God has no value for temporary things. 
And so, God, there is no real value in what I'm saying. So it was kind of like saying, I have my fingers crossed, which I always thought was the dumbest thing, right? I have my fingers crossed. Oh, okay. But that was what, like, they were, like, they were, they were building these systems of, of schemes, of dishonest communication um, that in their mind wasn't technically a lie, and that's what leads Jesus to give a few examples and simply says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So this is something that, um, I mean, it's fairly simple. It's not complicated what Jesus is saying. But there's layers to it. And, and Jesus, with, with so much of this, he, he invites us, part of walking with God is exploring what he's saying, what it means, and, and trying to go a little deeper than just the most basic, simple application of this stuff. So, so let's, talk, um, let's talk about a couple of implications. First of all, is, is just plain lying. This is the easier one to think through. It just, just uh, um, am I going to say honest things or am I willing to lie? A couple quick examples. Any of you in sales? I'm sure I hear that in sales there are lots of opportunities, almost expectations, that you would fudge some numbers, make up some stuff in presentations, whatever it is, to close the deal. When did it ship? When will it ship? How much is it going to cost? Things like that. And, and there's almost an underlying understanding. I mean, I've heard that the worst of it is when's a salesman lying when their lips are moving kind of a thing. Like that's a cliche. Um, uh, so, so there's that. And some of you might work in a place where you're like, yep, if I want to win in my job, I have to sort of, I mean, nothing crazy, but I have to sort of fudge some things and make some stuff up. Okay? So that's a pretty simple application of, of just honest speech versus lying. And clearly, the implications are, if you follow Jesus, what he's telling us is, we need to be honest in our speaking. Now, other examples uh, these days are returns. Was it really broken in the box? Did you really not wear it? You know, whatever, where, where we're going to, we could just make the return and get the money back, even though we broke it. And like, so those, those for me, uh, that's pretty clear. If our yes is yes and our no is no, then we need to commit to honesty versus lying. In other words, we're not going to sign off on something that simply we know is not true. So that's one example. Now the harder example, the harder point of application for me, <clears throat> I don't feel like I'm like a, you know, a liar. I don't generally go around saying things that aren't true. I don't think. Not that I'm above that. I just, you know, being an only child, I didn't get into that because there weren't any other suspects. Lying didn't do me a lot of good. <clears throat> Um, the thing for me that's harder is, is truly authentic and straightforward speech. Because if we're going to let our yes be yes and our no be no, there's a sign of spiritual maturity that is simply, can you say what you want and ask for what you want in straightforward 
and authentic ways. Now, this is where I have a little bit more of a trouble, more of a problem. Um, and, and, and part of the problem is that, that, that there's deniability built into this, so we've got to do a little bit of, of um, mining for our own motives, okay? Uh, things like truth in jest. Things like passive-aggressive communication. Things like scheming or subtle manipulation. All of those things are like a different category. Like there's one category of dishonest where it's just I flat out told a lie. There's another category that's my speech is not true and authentic. I'm up to something. I'm saying this, I'm meaning this. And while I don't generally lie, I can be pretty masterful in avoiding contact, uh, conflict and maintaining deniability while saying a whole lot. And if I really want to follow Jesus, and I, and I just, I hope that you will, along with me, really, really go after this in your life, because if we really want to follow Jesus and let our yes be yes and our no be no, it means we need to communicate authentically and be able to ask for what we mean and ask for what we want, straightforward, say what we mean, straightforward. Things like schemes, things like manipulating, things like bending the truth for, I'm saying this, I'm meaning that, but I have complete deniability, whatever it is. If we're going to follow Jesus, we need to commit to that. Now, briefly, when we talk about gray areas, and this is completely my opinion, totally my opinion, take it for what it's worth. There are gray areas. Um, surprise parties, where you just make stuff up to orchestrate a surprise party. People are going to have to decide where they're going to go with that. Um, that's a gray area for me. Um, uh, uh, parenting, okay. Um, uh, the pacifier's gone. No, there's not. There's 30 of them in the drawer. What, like there's things like that that for me are gray areas. Things we do as parents seasonally, gray areas. Okay, um, uh, uh, therapeutic fibs, gray like dementia patients. They say that there are times where you can and should, for the benefit of the patient, say or, or a family member that has dementia say certain things that you know aren't true, but that don't create crisis and. Uh, things like that are gray areas, and some people are going to land. Nope, I'm not being a part of anything with that surprise party orchestration because I will not. And I think we need to respect that and respect those decisions. And then there are other people with their families and things that are going to... We need to be respectful of each other's views on that, and, and, and uh, they're, they're gray areas. But what I'm talking about are the... Clearly, you're trying to get something that you shouldn't have. Clearly, you're trying to say something with words that, that don't, for, for some other kind of gain. And what this world needs is for, um, for followers of Jesus to be completely honest. Um, because ultimately... There are momentary benefits that happen from dishonesty. But in terms of eternity, it's more important than the people, or that the people around us can trust us 
and understand that what we have in our life is something that's worth being honest for. Now I'm going to close, and, and you guys can come on up for one last song, but I'm going to close with uh, Psalm 37. <clears throat> and this deals with the frustration, um, because honesty can be frustrating. It's frustrating to watch people get the promotion or to see your neighbors or friends get certain things. You, you get out of the, they, they're getting out of traffic tickets or whatever by making stuff up. Um, that can be frustrating. Well, here's Psalm 37. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. Okay, when you and I commit to being truthful, there'll be people who get an edge over us. Like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. He will. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. What the psalmist says is there are going to be moments when we just have to trust God. When everything in the world seems like being honest is going to give them the advantage and they're going to win, they're going to get the thing because they're not. And once again, I get the shaft because I took the high road. And what this psalmist says is trust. Trust God. Trust that in the end, it's all going to get sorted out. And that's what the scriptures invite us to do. And I, and I found in my life, you know, time and time again, you may not get the immediate thing. But in the end, it will always come around to, and eternally, it certainly will always come around to, um, God wins. And trusting him wins. And then hopefully those close to you, um, in the foundation that you've built on honesty, will come to trust you and the hope that you've turned to. And that would change their eternity, which is more important than any temporary gain. All right, so I'm going to have you stand. And just remember that um, Jesus tells us that when we are obedient to his teachings, we bring God's kingdom to this earth. And that's what the world needs. And so Jesus prayed regularly that God would bring his kingdom and for God's kingdom to come. And he told us we need to pray for God's kingdom to come. But then he also said that we can go answer that prayer by out there living out his principles. And so we're going to sing this last song asking God for, to bring his kingdom. But remember that uh, we will go bring God's kingdom as we're honest and live honestly in the world.